Hello and welcome to That Was Football, a new nostalgia-driven football podcast designed to bring back the memories of the glory days, the times where football really was the beautiful game. My name's Andy Ross and every fortnight I'll be joined by Greg McDonald to look back on a host of topics from the early 90s right through to the early noughties, if that's what we'll refer to them as. And tonight's topic of choice is the first ever Champions League, the 1992-93 season. First of all though, Greg, welcome along, mate. Cheers, mate. Aye, uh, I'm feeling good, feeling nervous but excited, so aye, let's just uh, crack on and see how we do. Yeah, well, what I'll do is I'll give you a wee bit of background to the 92-93 Champions League. The last ever European Cup took place in 1992, and that saw Barcelona defeat Sampdoria after extra time, a 1-0 victory to lift what was the last ever European Cup. That would become the Champions League in the 1992-93 season. And it was a more commercially driven model, uh, featuring a unique group stage quarterfinal setup. And Greg, when you think about how convoluted European football competitions are now at club level, it certainly was simpler times, despite the fact that they had this almost strange quarterfinal group setup. It was devised by Campbell Ogilvy, who at the time was yeah. a director at Rangers. He was looking for ways for Rangers to have more opportunities to play more European football. And as we'll go into later on, it certainly worked out for them. But it was kind of humble beginnings when you consider what a money-making machine the Champions League has transcended into. Yeah, it's strange when you think about it, how it's hard to see. It's hard to think about what it was like back then. It's just a straight knockout round ties. But you can almost actually, you can almost go back to, it's like 1984, when um, Real Madrid were playing Napoli and um, Real knocked Napoli out in the first round in the Champions League and that's, you know, that's the best team in Italy and the best team in Spain playing each other in the first round and so, like, imagine that these days, you know and, like, I think Sergio Berlusconi saw that and he thought, oh, God, I don't want that happening to Milan what if we win it next year and the same happens to us so he had his kind of plans but his was a bit more of a Super League whereas, yeah, UEFA had that and Ogilvy's proposal to choose between, and I think they probably picked the right choice. Yeah, what happened from there, there was two rounds of qualifying, even the top teams going into the, the first stages of the competition, so very unlike what it is in the modern day, where even, for example, Tottenham Hotspur this season going straight into the, the group stages of the Champions League, despite the fact that they were forced in the English Premier League last year one team from each nation represented as well. So that, again, gave other lesser countries, I suppose, more of an opportunity, certainly an opportunity to to upset the odds, didn't it? Oh, definitely, because, I mean, what was it? It was two years prior to this, wasn't it? Red, Red Star Belgrade won. Um, yeah, obviously, that's not something you see very often. Stoya Bucharest won it a few years before. I don't think it's very hard to see anything like that happening now with the dominance of, you know, top four countries from all these big leagues. And yeah, it's it's a little sad. We'll probably get into it later, but it's a little sad when you see, like, I think it was in that recent, in that Arsenal, all or nothing, um, Thierry Henry says, uh, he says, you know, as a kind of mission statement, you know, Arsenal have to finish top four as if top four is this great thing, whereas you think he'd be saying something like Arsenal have to win the league kind of thing. So it just shows how times have changed, I suppose. It's a shame. A few standout results in the first round of qualifying. First of all, Barcelona, the holders, made really hard work of biking from Norway. They drew 0-0 in the first leg. 
Barcelona won the second leg 1-0 to advance 1-0 in aggregate, of course. Marseille and PSV both enjoyed 8-0 aggregate wins. Marseille hammering Glenn Torren and PSV beating Zagreb's Vilnius. And I actually think that might be the opposite way around. But do you know what? We'll come back to that Aye, anyway. Yeah. Get, get what you mean. <laughs> the, the standout, though, is the tie between Stuttgart and Leeds United. Definitely. Now, there was a 3-0 win for Stuttgart in the first leg. Leeds at Ellen Road defeat Stuttgart 3-0. Now, the away goal rule was in place at this point, but the game didn't advance on to extra time. What they did is they played a third tie, and that was held at Barcelona's new camp, and Leeds won 2-1. So after me saying that it wasn't that convoluted, this setup, rather than playing half an hour of extra time when all the players are in situ, they flew them all over to Spain to play another game. <laughs> well, uh, well, there was a, there was a kind of well. I'm not going to say a good reason for that, but uh, there's no good reason for going to all over to Barcelona to play that. But uh, well, in that third leg, uh, sorry, in that second leg, um, so it was yeah, it was the second leg was in Leeds, wasn't it? So the second leg, Leeds were three 0 up. Then so Stuttgart are going through and away goals here, I believe. And Stuttgart bring on Jovo Simonich, like with eight minutes to go, and he takes them over the three foreigners rule. And then that's why it goes to the third leg, which is strange because you would think nowadays, I think if that happened, then they would just get thrown out immediately. But um, yeah, they decide, ah, well, let's take it to Spain instead. So yeah, they take it to Spain and then yeah, Leeds win that, uh, win that third leg um, 2-1. So I've actually... My research has let me down here. So Stuttgart win the first leg 3-0. Was it not 3-0 for, oh. for Leeds in the second leg? Or was it given a Actually, yeah, I believe it's 4-1. Leeds were 4-1 up in England. And then, so Stuttgart would go through on, on that, on away goals, you know. But then they, they bring a guy on with eight minutes to go who, that takes them over the three foreigners rule. Then that's why it goes to the third leg. Wow, that's so uh, It's mental, isn't it? <laughs> a, a complete catastrophe there. Uh, <laughs> and that secured Leeds United's passage to the second qualifying round where they were handed a, a blockbuster tie. What was billed in Scotland anyway is a battle in Britain. Uh, reaction from many of the, the English press was that it was going to be a walkover for Leeds United. Yeah. I watched an interview for... Uh, STV with Howard Wilkinson prior to the match, and he was very, very confident, the Leeds United manager, that Leeds would, would take care of the Scottish champions quite comfortably. And I suppose that he must have felt quite vindicated when, within 60 seconds of that first leg tie, <laughs> Gary McAllister leathers home a, a beautiful volley. What a, what a goal. He, he talks about how, after he, he struck it, it's, it's Gordon Strachan's corner, it's headed away to the edge of the box. And McAllister catches it on the volley right into the top corner. Andy Gorham said that he had a cheek to dive for it. It was, <laughs> it was, it was that helpless. But Rangers responded in brilliant style, albeit helped by John Lukic in the, the Leeds United yeah. goal, Greg. Yeah, I know. I just, I remember Lukic from that. I just remember that kind of, you know, that kind of shaggy bowl cut he's got. I, just, I remember seeing him in old, like, kind of, I saw him like an old Arsenal footage and, you know, I, this kind of footage of Rangers leads. He never really impressed me as a keeper. So <laughs> it was a pretty, it, it was an OG, wasn't it? Rangers, Rangers equaliser or Lukic OG. 
Yeah, but he punches it directly into his own net. Yeah, <laughs> standard. <laughs> <McConnor pick. laughs> Beautifully um, done. Yeah, but in terms of tie, you've got Alan McCoy's tapping home from two yards out to put Rangers ahead. Yeah. They were in 2-1 at half time, and that's how the game finished. So you're going to the second leg at Ellen Road. And note as well that English teams had only been back in European competition for one season prior to this. Uh, obviously, the Heysel disaster in 1985, following that, English teams were banned from European competitions for five years. Arsenal had played in the European Cup the year before, and Leeds obviously being champions of the previous season, they entered the, the Champions League this time round. Yeah. I would imagine that given the star power in that team, Leeds would have been heavily fancied to turn it around, especially with that away goal in their favour as well. Yeah, it's funny as well, because I do vaguely remember this period. I think I was only six or something at the time, six or seven, but I do vaguely remember this period. And it's probably just because I was a wee guy and you don't think of oh, how much bigger the English Premier League might be, but I never really saw it that way. But when I look back on footage now and in interviews and that, like you said, it did seem like Leeds were, you know, big favourites to qualify. They thought even though they lost the first like two one, you know, they'll just they'll do the job at Ellen Ellen Road. It kind of reminded me of, you know, in Celtic's UEFA Cup run in 2003 when they got past Black Blackburn and Liverpool. It kind of reminded me of that, the second legs. That's when Celtic really kind of did the damage. And um and the uh, you know, the Premier League teams were were so certain that they'd they'd progress with a kind of you know, that that kind of inferiority feeling with Scottish football, I think. Yeah. And- We've already touched upon the, the three-foreigner rule as well. You had the situation where Rangers had, in the late 80s, filled their team with big-name signings, but then had to resort back to, to homegrown talent. So the core of that Rangers team was predominantly Scottish, and I'm sure that kind of rivalry between the, the Scots and the English would have fired them up. And within two minutes of the second leg, starting Mark Haley's put Rangers ahead. Ali McCoy doubles the lead and despite Eric Cantona's late goal, Rangers advance and and really give the English champions at that time a, a bloody nose. Absolutely. And like once again, what a goal it is, the opening goal by Hately so early on in the game as well. It's just, yeah, it's a fantastic volley. Lukic is at fault again, I think, <laughs> for, for that goal. But um, the second goal is cross from McCoy. It's unbelievable. Just kind of swings Some his left diving header it. as well. Yeah, it's a pinpoint diving header by McCoy. I remember watching that live, actually. It's like, yeah, it's right it's right across the goal, isn't it? And um, and uh, I mean, McCoy says after it, he said it was the first time he'd scored a goal and the stadium had just been completely silent. You know, he said it was, he said it felt eerie, but in a good way. Um and it's worth saying both these games like they had they had some atmosphere as well. Uh, when you see the beginning of that game at Ellen Road, Rangers just getting heavy booze with every touch. It was like it was pretty. It's pretty cool to be honest. Yeah, um, the scalp can't be underestimated either, can it? Because no, you, you think that Eric Cantona scored the consolation goal for for Leeds United. That the likes of, of Gary McAllister, who of course went on to to captain Scotland as well. They had a great deal of star power. Maybe let down by their goalkeeper over the two legs. <laughs> Poor old John. Yeah, that, but that's the last mention of, of John Lukic for the podcast tonight. So if you're listening, John, you can now tune in without fear of any, any more embarrassment. 
<laughs> I also I, I want to say as well, just from watching kind of highlights of both these games, I thought kind of real standout players in these games, like three I would say were McAllister, Strachan and Durant. I mean, you think, man, you know, if they were all Scottish, what a midfield we could have had back then. <laughs> we could have really done some damage, like just looking at those three kind of in the pump during these games. Yeah, that, that's that's very true. I, I never really uh, considered yeah. that. The, yeah, the one thing I noticed on, on top of that was the dates of the, the games. So you were the 25th of October and then two weeks later. So it was early November type thing when the, the second legs took place. So you're pretty much uh, approaching when we would have normally played the first lot of, of group stages. Yeah, just normal kind of middle of group stage. And it's weird to think about it. There was one more standout result in the, the second round qualifiers. And oh, yes. that, of course, was Barcelona being dumped out before reaching that kind of land of milk and honey. Their <laughs> reign, very short-lived. And CSK Moscow, they held Barca to a draw in Russia, then go 2-0 down at the new camp. You wouldn't have foreseen what happened after that. No, definitely not. Uh, they, yeah, they basically score the three next goals, don't they? So, like, um, yeah, I mean, the alarm bells maybe should have been ringing when they only, you know, got past Viking by one goal, where he had, you know, Milan were winning by seven, Marseille by eight, Porto 9-1. And I mean, it's like, this, this, is, a, this is the defending champions. And um, Cruyff was still managing. You know, they still had a lot of big names in, this, in the team. They had Stoichkov, Laudrup, Coleman, Guardiola, Nadal. And... Uh, as we might see later, CSKA don't really pull up too many trees in the group stage. So, yeah, it's quite quite an upset. Um, yeah, there was just one funny bit when I was watching the highlights of this. It was in Spanish commentary when um, CSKA draw level. The commentator just goes, oh, Dennis Mascaren, ay, 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 ay. He wasn't having a very good day. So we, we go into the group stages and the eight teams that made that lucrative stage were Marseille, Rangers, Club Bruges, CSK Moscow, they made up Group A. AC Milan, IFK Gothenburg, Porto and PSV Eindhoven made up Group B. Now, Greg, I'm going to start at Group B because that was a bit of a, a landslide in AC Milan's favour. They would win all six of their group games. Bear in mind, at this point, it was only two points for a win, which is something that might become a wee bit more significant as we go along with this podcast. The one surprise really from Group B, I would take, is PSV's performance because they looked very strong in the, the qualifying stages, but they would only go on to register one draw and five defeats. So a, a really kind of pathetic haul for them. Yeah, it was, especially when you consider they had Romario, who was uh, eventually the top scorer of the tournament. Um, some of those goals were in you know the kind of previous rounds, but uh, it, is a, it is a disappointment. Is a disappointing uh, performance for PSV. There is a lot of things, and like you know, as football has progressed, you know, decisions that I don't like. But I think the decision to turn two points into three was definitely a good one because when you think about you know that time, think about that time, how many teams would have just played for a draw? Because it's only you know it's only one point less than a win. Um, it's definitely I think it was definitely a good change that we went to uh, three points for a win. But yeah. Mainly just Milan dominance. This is, you know, they still had the three Dutchmen at the time. They still had Rijkaard, Hulik, Van Basten. And they've, they've got that all-Italian back four. Maldini, Costa, Curta, Baresi, Tassotti. It was pretty, you know, they scored 11, conceded one. It's pretty, they looked like the best team in the tournament. And um, But this this group, this group did have some really good goals, I've got to say. Um, 
Van Basten. Van Basten got four in the one game against Gothenburg. One of them is just like a pitch, a pitcher perfect bicycle kick. It's a bit like Ronaldo's against Juve a few years ago, uh, but maybe even better. And then um, there's a really nice goal from Mario against Milan as well. And this guy, what's he called? Mikhail Nielsen. Mikhail Nielsen for Gothenburg scores an insane free kick. Um, I think it was against Porto or PSV, but yeah, it's got some amount of bend on it. Um, if, see if you probably just YouTube Mikhail Nielsen, if you're listening, you know, you'll find it. But yeah, a brilliant free kick. And Gothenburg were quite a, a force to be reckoned with through the 90s, weren't they? they yeah. I remember them making the group stages a, a quite a regular occurrence and, and performing pretty well. And the fact that they they did finish second in that group, albeit that didn't bring any re- sort of reward, but topping Porto and PSV Eindhoven, certainly no mean feat. We'll move on to, to Group A, and that was much more closely contested. It would go down to the final set of group fixtures. Marseille and Rangers had already contested two draws. They had also dropped points or dropped a point. Uh, Rangers drew 1-1 in Bruges. Marseille were held 0-0 in Moscow. Now, the one significant result, though, that proved to be pivotal was the fact that Marseille hammered CSK Moscow 6-0 in Marseille, didn't they? Yeah, and uh, that Marseille-CSK game, that had absolutely nothing dodgy about it, did it? Nah, I don't, I don't think so, anyway. We might, we yeah. might get to that later. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 think, I think there could be a whole podcast devoted to the kind of aftermath of Marseille's <laughs> yeah. Champions League win. And um, apologies if you didn't know who won the, the tournament. I've just spoiled it for oh, you. But, spoilers. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, yeah, but we'll, we'll certainly go on to that. The, that was a, a pivotal result. But going into the final group games, Bruges hosted Marseille. Rangers hosted CSK in Moscow. Now, I've watched the highlights of both of these games back. Marseille led through Alan Boxit's goal and kind of played the game out in quite comfortable fashion. Meanwhile, at Ibrox, bear in mind, both teams were tied uh, at that point in seven points each. Marseille, of course, after winning, gone to nine points. Rangers battered CSK Moscow. Yeah. They just couldn't find a way through. The game finishes 0-0, so Marseille in nine points, Rangers in eight. The goal difference, an eight-goal swing in the end. I don't think it's actually unrealistic to say that if Rangers had perhaps taken one of their chances in the first 10 minutes, it could have been a similar result to the one that Marseille registered. Yeah, I mean, you never know. Like, I like they always say, if like, you get an early goal, it could just kind of it could just snowball from there. Um, but, I mean, you could also say, like, when you when you look at the kind of goals Rangers scored in this group, there were quite a few, quite a couple of lucky goals, quite a few, quite a few like huge deflections. I think, and like I'm thinking of Scott Nesbitt and Ian Ferguson in particular. So maybe maybe this game, their kind of their luck went the other way, and it was just, um, it, I, it, it it was unfortunate. Um, as we'll get to, you know, they might have been unfairly second, but um, yeah, this game, I for for Rangers fans, I imagine this game would be painful to go through. For how for how close they came. Yeah, the, the Scott and Hisbit one that you you mentioned there. <laughs> my word, uh, it looks like it's going out for a shy. <laughs> I know. And, uh, it takes a, it's got a ridiculous turning circle. The ball <laughs> bend, and bend it like Nisbet catches a goalkeeper out. The other thing is, I, I mentioned the the fact that the dates were a wee bit strange. 
the state of Ibrox <laughs> these group stage matches, they were playing in a mud heap. There would be no way yeah. these pitches would pass as acceptable it's, in the modern day. Even in the S- even in the SPFL today, like let alone the Champions League. Like <laughs> Because I read an interview with uh, Stephen Mangan. I'm going completely off topic here, but I'm allowed to do it because I'm the host. Uh, no. He was talking about going to Tottenham games when he was younger and he had visions of this perfect pitch, absolutely mm-hmm. luscious green grass. He, said, he actually watched it back at a later date and realised there was no grass on the pitch. <laughs> uh, and this, this is what Ibrox was like. It actually <laughs> There's points where you could maybe actually submerge into the turf at points. Uh, and it's, yeah. I mean, Ibrox is a great pitch normally as well, isn't it? And it's, um, yeah, it's strange. <laughs> but yeah, it's in, it's in some, it's in some nick. Um, I, I certainly think that that might have helped the case of uh, Ian Ferguson and definitely Scott Nisbet. Uh, <laughs> but what a, an incredible achievement for Rangers to, yeah, that season, I mean, they went undefeated domestically. They won a domestic treble and then to go 10 European games undefeated as well. It's one of these ones where you would struggle to make a case against them not being in the final, other than the fact that obviously Marseille (laughs) pipped them to it and and it was a Rangers director that that pitched the idea for the format, but uh, incredibly unlucky. Although we do do talk about the the fortune they had in, in some of these home games, the two games against Marseille, though, were, were captivating watches. Uh, really, really entertaining stuff. They came back from 2-0 down at home against Marseille. And they really had to dig deep against uh, Marseille at the Velodrome as well. Yeah, I mean, you can tell just by watching the highlights of these games, you can tell these are definitely top two teams in the group. You can tell they're a level above CSK and Bruges, even though CSK beat Barca. But um I yeah, and particularly that that game at the Velodrome, you know, um, Marseille scored after about twenty minutes or so. But it's a real it's a really nice equaliser by Ian Durant, probably Rangers, you know, best goal of the whole camp. Well, no, best goal of the group stage anyway, because um, you know in Marseille leading at the Velodrome, Velodrome um, you don't necessarily think Rangers are going to pull it back, particularly as Marseille went to two up at Ibrox as well. You know, you got that kind of impression they're a stronger team. They are, they do have bigger names than Rangers, but they definitely kind of hung in there with them and um, they'd be very, you know, they'd be very worthy of calling themselves, you know, like in quotes, finalists or, you know, as it turned out, semi-finalists in this way. Yeah, that must have been the kind of cruel element of it that you can't really consider yourself as third place in the competition. I suppose you could claim third place, but it's not really going to get you very far. (laughs) And they they never had a a better chance to go on in the, the Champions League and come anywhere near as close as that. I looked to the following season and they go out at the first hurdle. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's like, um, that's what I was going to put. Like, to, so speaking objectively, like, even from a Scotch point of view, I think Rangers did fantastic this season. But I don't know if it might be fair to say that this was a bit of a flash in the plan for Rangers because, you know, the year before they went out to Sparta Prague, uh, the year after they went out to Le- Levski Sofia. And um, even like Ali McCoy's, like I'm a big fan of Ali McCoy's, and like at this time he was the Golden Boot winner, so I think he won it in '92 and then '93. Um, but when you look at it, the Golden Boot around this time, around the time McCoy's is winning it, you had like Welsh players winning it, Armenian, Georgian players winning it. So um, I do think he was a top striker, but 
I don't, I'm not putting him quite at the level of, you know, Romario, Stoichkov, Van Basten, but maybe, maybe they're just the next level down. We'll move on and talk about the final. Marseille reached it, obviously, with a, after coming on top of a, a very tightly contested group. AC Milan romped through their group, so they were clear mm-hmm. favourites going into the final. AC Milan, of course, a, a team steeped in history at the top end of, of European football. The game didn't quite play out like that, though. It was a, a really stuffy affair, settled by a Basel Bowley goal two minutes from half time. Marseille claimed their first ever European crown in, in quite incredible circumstances. Yeah, I mean, what's funny, like, I, it does kind of remind me of the finals we were getting at that time. I'm kind of reminded of the Italian 90 final and the USA final. Not the not the most entertaining games, but I mean, yeah, everyone thought everyone thought Milan were gonna. Well, no, I don't know. I can't speak for like everyone at the time, but you know, I definitely thought Milan were gonna kind of win it quite quite comfortably, especially given how they did in the group. Um, a kind of big um, a big talking point to the lead up of this game was whether Jean Pierre Papin was going to play because he was obviously he was at Marseille the season before, but he was carrying an injury. Um, it turned out he didn't play. He got he made it to the bench, but um, you know, he, he wasn't quite fit enough. Um, but what was so I Milan, Milan were playing Van Basten and Massaro up front, uh, no Hullet. But um, I just wanted to take this point to talk about, like, so Milan on the wings, they had Donadoni and Lentini. And Lentini is just one of those names I can remember from back then. And um, he was actually, it's quite sad, really, because at this point, he was the most expensive player in the world. But uh, so they signed him from uh, Torino, I think it was. They signed from, I think it was like 13 million, something like that. I mean, Milan barely spend that nowadays, let alone in 1993. But, um, yeah, they signed him. He had a really good first season, and then he was in a car crash, and uh, that that actually like he ended up in a coma. He did make a recovery. He played football again, but he was never quite the same. So I just wanted to take I just wanted to take a moment to talk about uh, Lentini. But um, yeah, when I was watching the build up to this game, um, yeah, a few interesting sights. I saw Bartes with a full head of hair. Bartes had the kind of like nineties curtains haircut, so it's quite funny seeing Bartes like that. And then I saw. Desai, he Desai, he was just like walking about in a Rangers top as well, which is funny. But um, yeah, as for the actual game itself, um, there's a bit where Basil Bollis, you know, he's talking about it after the game. So Bollis said that um, he, I think he was carrying an injury actually. He was going to, he was asking to get subbed off uh, just before half time, and they were like, no, 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 stay on, stay on. And um, Abdi Pelly had said to Bolly, you know, oh God, I'd forgotten how tall these guys are. Like, whatever you do, don't go at the far post when I cross it. So Bolly from a corner, near post, heads it in, and that's it. Uh, so yeah, he was he was the hero of the day. Um, as far as I could tell, I mean, it looks like Milan kind of largely dominated the game afterwards, but without kind of carving them open, because this was um, you know, this was Capello's Milan, it wasn't Saki's Milan, so it's not it's not quite the kind of uh, attacking force they were, even if they were still, you know, as watertight at the back as ever. But um, aye, one one thing we have to say, one thing we have to mention about the final awards is that this was, this was actually Van Basten's last um, career game uh, because he um, he stayed in, he stayed at Milan for two years after this. Um, he'd not he'd not retired yet, but he didn't play a single game. Um, it was just injuries were just injuries were just killing him, and um, this was yeah. This ended up being his final game. There's actually some footage of when you know he was he's kind of announcing his retirement, and even Fabio Capello's crying. And <laughs> I don't I don't think of Capello as the most kind of 
emotionally vulnerable man. <laughs> when the Iron Man was broken. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I saw him crying on the, on the dugout. It was like, fuck it, this, 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 this guy must mean something. And it's kind of, it's hard to, um, it's hard to understate how, how good a player Van Basten was. I mean, um, there's no, I, don't, I can't really think of a current striker you compare him to. I mean, a kind of obvious one's Van Persie, but it's more like a combination of Van Persie and Ibrahimovic, you know, with that kind of strength in his physique as well. Um, so I, we've not really seen, and he was only 28 as well. I mean, I think that's 28, that's younger than uh, Harry Kane, that's younger than Pogba, uh, Dybala, you know, imagine one of them just career over like that. Uh, so I, it was quite sad. Um, I did, Andy, I looked up some pop, some pop culture um, kind of history for around this time as well. Um, All right, this is, this is completely new to me. I'm, I'm quite excited <laughs> by that. Uh, so, uh, so the UK number one in the charts was "All That She Wants" by Ace of Base. I prefer I prefer the sign, but I prefer the sign. But yeah, all of which all of which wants was alright as well. Um, the number one film was "Indecent Proposal," and um, <laughs> the only thing I, I've never seen that, but the only thing I know, the only reference I have for it was like you know they do it in Peep Show with like Johnson. Um, Big Sue's and Jeremy. I <laughs> 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 um, and um, one other thing I saw was Reg Holdsworth takes over the corner shop in Coronation Street around this time as well. So that was it. <laughs> well, I'm, going to, I'm going to bring him back on to the football if you don't mind. But <laughs> uh, whatever. <laughs> what we're going to go on and <laughs> more about Reg Holdsworth a wee bit later <laughs> on. Uh, this uh, or the aftermath of this final, perhaps tainted or took away from how good this Marseille side were. Now you, you look at the 1-11 to 11, as it was in those days as well and the team was littered with with star power. You've got the likes of Deschamps, Rudy Voller, Alan Bolkzic, Marcel Desailly, Frank Sose, mm. Fabian Barthez in goal. They were a team that were capable of mixing it up and it Maybe shouldn't have been such a surprise that they went on to achieve such great success. It has just obviously been overshadowed by what we're going to talk about after this. Yeah, and it's a shame, like you said, when you see that team. I think, I, I mean, I think there's been worse teams that have won the Champions League than this. Um, Abdi Pelly as well. I think Abdi Pelly won the African Player uh, Player of the Year quite a few times. Um, so yeah, and they did get dismantled a bit uh, after this, but. Yeah, depending on what uh, what you believe, what happened, I don't want to take too much away from from these players. But um, yeah, I guess we'll be getting into that in a minute. So as we've alluded to plenty of times already in the podcast, Marseille's Champions League triumph wasn't without its controversies. Prior to the final, Marseille were playing Valenciennes in a French league game. The president and general manager contacted three uh, Valenciennes players and asked them to underperform in that match in order for Marseille to remain fresher going into the crucial final against AC Milan. This would later lead to them being stripped of their French League title. They wouldn't take part in the following year's Champions League. They were replaced by Monaco. And of course, they would go on 
and won the final against AC Milan. You would have thought that would have maybe cast into doubt their ability or their credentials to hold on to the, the title. That wasn't the case. Uh, UEFA record books show that the 1993 Champions League winners were Marseille. First of all, Greg, you, you, you mentioned the, the CSK Moscow game and the fact that there was real question marks over that. The fact that this happened and they were found guilty of it happening in their own domestic league. Should it have been the case that, that Marseille were, were stripped of all honours uh, that they had achieved that season? First of all, Ben Atapi is innocent. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so like, I, I think um, I, the thing is that there was, they never, nothing was ever proven in Europe as it was in, in the domestic, as far as I know. Uh, there was allegations. There was allegations from the CSK. I think it was the CSK manager. That, you know they'd um, they'd off they'd offered them a bribe, and there was one from Mark Hately as well. Um, there was one. From, well, Mark Hately claimed that. Um, so he claimed that he'd received a phone call from someone from Marseille saying it would be good. It'd be a good idea for you to miss the uh, the the Marseille Rangers game when um, you know Hately he'd scored the equaliser at Ibrox, I think, um, for Rangers Marseille. But yeah, it turns out he did actually. He got suspended, I think, against um, what I say, Bruges. Yeah, he was sent off against Bruges, uh, so he missed mm-hmm. the game anyway. Yeah, exactly. So maybe, maybe they did get to him. But yeah, I mean, Mark Haley, he he only came out and said this many, many years later. Um, so yeah, it is it is very bizarre though. They got all this punishment in France, and they didn't really get. They kind of <laughs> kind of got away with it in Europe, really, because I mean, the only reason the only reason they didn't. You know, compete in the following year's Champions League was because they weren't recognised as league winners anymore. Um, so what happened was they were going to give it to PSG, who came second, but PSG refused it, and uh, then they gave it to Monaco. And there's actually, I think, I think in the records, there's there's no league winner in league on that season. Um, so uh, it's it's really strange how. Um, uh, but I think it must it must just be down to the proof because uh, they found they found that. 250,000 francs in uh, Christophe Robert's aunt's back garden. Wow, okay. So that, that, that's a, a wee curveball you're throwing me there because I wasn't aware of this. And the well, you know, it took me to say Valenciennes as well. Uh, you know, the funny thing is as well... Time. <laughs> the funny thing is as well that when uh, presented with this evidence, uh, Tati said he just gave that money to Robert to help him start a restaurant. You know, as as you do, as you do with a, an opposing player, <laughs> just what's he? You know why 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 is he so invested in Christophe Robert's restaurant? We'll we'll never know. <laughs> but um, yeah, there were good, but it wasn't just Robert as well. So there was Jacques Glossman and Jorge Burachaga as well. Um, Burachaga took it as well, but uh, Glossman actually rejected it, and he told them. Um, he kind of told the Valencia manager at halftime, I think, that this was going on. A few years down the line, he won like a fair play award as well. So, you know, fair play for Glossman, but the other two, not so much. Yeah, and that, that feels like a kind of legitimate way to win a fair play award as well, by the way. Yeah, right? yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll maybe cover at a later date the fact that Robbie Fowler dived <laughs> over over David Seaman and then begged for the referee not to give a penalty, uh, which he then missed and the rebound was scored. Or... I mean, if you saw that nowadays, there'd just be a, like a, you know, a reply on Twitter or something with like three clapping emojis saying, you know, not a Liverpool fan, but respect, you know, some, some pitch like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe they were ahead of the curve there, but they, 
that excuse in itself is is quite remarkable. It's glorious. I love it. I'm just going to begrudgingly respect the audacity of it uh, (laughs) and the fact that they they were able to retain their title. The aftermath of that, though, stripped to the French League title, PSG refused to accept it, coming second, Marseille going into the, the following year. And let's look at the kind of legacy of that Marseille triumph because mm-hmm. it's fair to say that they've never come close to, to reaching these heights no. in Europe's premier club competition. No, and it, it's a shame because, see, when I was kind of um, kind of re- reacquainting myself with this, I was up to a point, I was still like, you know what, these these players, they still merit this Champions League win. Um, when I, you know, it was all about this, you know, um, all about this, you know, domestic bribery and stuff. But then, you know, when you see about the allegations from Haitley and the Siska manager, and then, um, I think, um, it's in two thousand six. I think one of the one of the one of the other players, um, John Jack Adeley, he says that uh, several of the players got doping injections before the Milan game, uh, and that's when it's you just kind of have to wash your hands with it. Again, this wasn't proven, but uh, I don't know why Italy would say this because he's a Marseille player. I don't know why he would say this, but uh, it's hard to say. But if that is the case, obviously there's kind of no no redemption for them at all. Um, but yeah, as you say, um, they've not really scaled these heights again. I mean, that summer, that summer, I mean, Desai went in Milan. They, you know, they went up. They did all right. They they won it the next year. But might get to that in another episode. But. Um, Boxic went to Lazio, Sozi went to Atalanta, later of course Hibs, um, Pele went to Lyon, so yeah, they went down to Ligue 2 and then they have, they, they've had kind of sporadic success since then, but never at the very top of Europe, I mean they've won the league a few times I think with Deschamps and I remember they got to the UEFA Cup final with Drogba, but um, they've never really yeah, they, you know, they've, been they've at the won, summit. They've won the, they've won the league once uh, right, yeah. in the Champions League, they've Three times uh, runners-up in the, the UEFA Cup or, in the most recent instance, the Europa League. They, they lost the 2017-18 uh, season. They lost to Atletico Madrid. Yeah, it's weird. And some of the Europa League, League seasons have just blend together, don't they? You just kind of forget some of them. Yeah, you, you can just tell that either Atletico Madrid or Sevilla won it. Uh, if you could kind of throw that at maybe about 10 seasons and you'd be not too far off the mark. Yeah. The other thing I would <laughs> say is a maybe kind of a, almost a pop culture type reference or maybe it's more of a societal reference. There was a stage where about half the population in Scotland owned a Marseille tracksuit. <laughs> is that, is uh, that like official, yeah? Well, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure. That I, JD's I think that was a census question. <laughs> JD Sports were not available for comment prior to this podcast, but that's <laughs> that where you need to use a wee bit of poetic license. I can, I can remember a lot of people, I, it's actually perfectly represents the final of this Champions League that we're talking about because loads of people had a, an AC Milan track suit. So it, it, it was intended to be an undesirable. It tended to be an undesirable section of society, <laughs> it must be said, but yeah. they did a winner an AC Milan or a Marseille tracksuit. They were very, well, very, very I, popular. I currently own an AC Milan tracksuit, so, uh, you know, what's that say about me? God. It suggests, as I said, that you're an undesirable, so <laughs> you've, uh, That's you've been established. To it on the record. 
yeah. <laughs> so let's look at some of the the kind of stats from this Champions League. Top goal scorer in the tournament was Romario. Uh, and again, that's, that's a wee bit of a feat given the fact that he hadn't experienced any sort of success in the, the group stages, PSV finishing bottom. Whatever happened to Romario? I I mean, that, that that's a funny thing because obviously Romario first came to my attention in USA 94, you know, so I was eight or whatever. And that back then you actually saw players for the first time during the World Cup. Um, the only the only really real memories I have of this Champions League are the Rangers games. Um, so I it's it's quite exciting to see Romario just on the cusp of like becoming one of the best players in the world. You know, him and Baggio were probably the you know you could say were the two kind of best players in the world coming into this kind of mid nineties period. So it's quite exciting, and, and you can see like some of the finishes he has for PSV here. They're like they're like classic Romario. You know that that kind of toe poke. Um, yeah, really. I hope I hope that's not I hope this isn't the last time we kind of speak about him. We did talk about the convincing victories in the the early stages of the tournament the, against the Lithuanian side. He only scored one of the eight goals in that tie. Mm-hmm. Just trying to do a wee bit of research on the job and find out how so he got one in round two. He got one against Milan. He got two, I think, against one of the group. I think he got four in the actual group stages because the one he scores against Milan is really nice. He does like a couple of keepy ups and he volleys it in. Um, it's really nice. Um, he scores a free kick and a toe poke against. Um, it was either either Porto or Gothenburg. I can't remember. Both you know blue stripey shots. Um, and, and in terms of the, I was just interrupted by Siri who just blotted out 1943. I'm not. I thought I heard sure that there. <laughs> <laughs> he scored a hat trick against the AK Athens in the second. Qualifying round, and that was that was decisive, given that they had lost the first leg one uh, 0 So, well, of course, he could have just scored a double and be done with it. But he, he added in a hat trick because <laughs> he really wanted a, a new football. <laughs> um, eight, eight goals in the tournament, so some impressive stats there. Is there any other players that stood out from your your research that we've maybe not touched upon? I mean, we should probably speak a bit more about Sozy, I suppose. You know, even though like. Can we, I mean, guys kind of our age living in Scotland, you might immediately think of Hibs when it comes to Frank Sosie, but he was he was a top quality international footballer, you know. I mean, you see Six a lot of the goals, goals in this tournament as well, Greg. Yeah, and nice goals as well, like a lot of kind of like low driven shots. Um, yeah, I don't know if he was kind of playing in that deep midfield role then as well. Uh, or you know, maybe I, mean, I know he played a bit of centre back at Hibs as well, but um, yeah, he was and I mean, Boxic as well, Boxic. Uh, he was quite similar to Mark Hately, actually, in the way he plays. Like, really good, really good kind of link, man. Uh, Boxic, like, really, really nice touch. You know, obviously, he went to Lazio after this, then he went to Juve after that. So, he, obviously, a top striker. I mean, him and, him and Sukar for Croatia, like, forget about it. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, Marco Zamoni as well. He had, I think Marco Zamoni had the kind of campaign that Rangers fans would have wanted from McCoist. Because Marco Zamoni, he got a lot, a, quite a few poachers' goals. You know, four goals in the groups, like a really good, really good return for you know, essentially like a goal poacher, not the, not the kind of um, star that Lambaston was, but a very, very decent striker. And then just as a final one, this was the first goal at the Champions League. It's obviously developed into a, a multi-million, billion-pound empire, which is uh, as a 
I referred to earlier is that the land of milk and honey, you're, even to qualify for the group stages, it is worth incredible amounts of money. It's, it's made these big teams absolute giants of the game. It attracts viewers from all around the world, which from looking at the figures for this first inauguration of the, the Champions League, it certainly wasn't the case at that point in time. It, it was maybe a wee bit lower scale. You couldn't have foreseen the commercial entity that it's developed into. And of course, on the back of that, the Europa League, which was then the UEFA Cup, and even the Conference League to a certain extent, which has replaced the Cup Winners' Cup, they've become bigger on the back of the, the success of the Champions League. Yeah, I mean, you're definitely right about the humble beginnings because, I mean, you spoke about the pitch at Ibrox and then I, I looked up one of these games, I think it was the um, Siska versus Bruges game. They only had 2,500 fans at it. Like, you imagine that in a, in a Champions League game now? So it definitely wasn't the kind of like global empire it is now. Um, but I mean, two things that kind of seem superficial, but things that I think really, uh, really help are like, there's the logo and there's the music, you know, both of which have never really changed for the Champions League. And it's that, you know, it's like, it's kind of classical music, so it never really goes out of style. And um, well, I, I, was, I was researching a bit and apparently... In the kind of late nineties, they had, um, you know, they had some ideas to like make like a disco version or like a rock version of the Champions League music, which thankfully they never actually went ahead with. But um, I do think I do think things like that, you know, they help with the overall kind of image of it, and that you know, like kind of sponsorship money. I like watching these old games as well when you see like the old advertising boards, like like you know, like Amstel and Ford Mondeo and stuff before it was like, you know, Gazprom and all that. Um, that's That gives me a nice wee nostalgia hit there. But um, yeah, I mean, we can, I, I guess we can talk about how it how it expanded in the years that followed uh, because it only kind of gets bigger from here, doesn't it? Yeah, that's it. I wouldn't necessarily say that it's got better since then. Mm. I, I think that, but maybe that's uh, just hindsight and you look back and everything that's old is great and everything is new is, it's a bit scary and a bit overwhelming. <laughs> the, uh, has, no arguments here. It certainly has become a, an absolute monster. And when you mentioned the, the classical music, and the fact that that's such a, it's a big part, even some of the sides in the qualifiers of the last, the playoff round, playing the music, it, it must be such a buzz for the supporters. Yeah. Again, possibly coming at it from a, a Scottish point of view and watching Rangers PSV the other week. That would mm-hmm. be the first time in, and quite some time that the music have been played at Ibrooks and the, the reaction that it's stirred from the crowd. BT Sport have kind of tried to, because I couldn't really tell you the, the Europa League theme as much. Uh, oh, I would not want to hear it. Like but that. it's more the uh, Thursday nights, Europa <laughs> nights. I promise I won't sing in the podcast every week, but there that uh, <laughs> BT Sport advert has, uh, and they've kept it again for this year as well. And that just, Tells you that it's a, it's a hit. It's catching on, aye. It's catching on. There's no getting away from it now. Uh, but I, yeah, I mean, like it's, it's, it is that it is such a difference. So to what we had back then, I realised actually I must I misspoke earlier. I was talking about that Madrid Napoli game. I said it was in '84. It was obviously from '87 because Napoli won it in '86. But yeah, just to just so I don't kind of go crazy after this. But um, yeah, just to go back to that, like, um, so imagine back then. Do you remember last season, Sheriff Tiraspol beat Real? I think they beat them both games. Or they at least beat them kind of over two games, like on aggregate. You know, it was in the groups, but 
Yeah. Imagine that. Imagine that happened in the first round. You know, uh, like in you know nineteen ninety one or something. That and that just be it. It's it's mental to think about. And um, what's funny actually, I meant to say earlier. This um, you know, with, with the um, this was the first Champions League. Let's say like the big five markets. You know, are Italy, Spain, France, England, and Germany. There was no English, Spanish, or German teams in this in this tournament. You know, in the, in these group stages. Like imagine, imagine like the imagine the uproar if that happened in the Champions League with no um you know no teams from those three countries. It's quite it's quite funny to think about. But yeah, I do I I think we've gone way too far now. I think we've gone way too far with the amount of teams we let into the Champions League. Like it's quite ironic they changed it to the Champions League and then they you know right you know a few years later it's like ninety seven right you don't need champions anymore. Um, but um. We've gone really far away from that. I think, obviously, I think the standard is higher from having you know these richer teams in it, but it's it's not fair. It's not fair, in my opinion. Yeah, it, it just gives, or it takes away the opportunity to have that kind of moment of glory, yeah. doesn't it? it even yeah. to a certain extent, the fact that they've done away with their away goals rule as well, yeah. it's so weighted towards the the bigger sides. Uh, it does take a significant amount of a romance away from it. And in terms of the, the leagues, the domestic leagues, I suppose, when you get to the last weekend and perhaps relegations already decided, the league titles already decided, it can be exciting and, and something to really get your teeth into when there is a an intriguing race for, for European qualification, whether that be Europa League, Champions League, even the Conference League uh, yeah. for the, the teams that we support. But the... I think the fact that it was just one team from one nation, because it it can get a bit tedious. How many finals have we had where we've had two teams from the same nation contesting mm-hmm. it? Most notably England in, in recent times. And, it, yeah. and quite often these teams aren't the champions as well. Most recently, uh, Liverpool-Tottenham. Neither side yeah. were the champions and they're contesting the final of the Champions League. It's I know. And I th- act. <laughs> exactly. And I think, like, yeah, as far as all these rulings uh, have gone, I still think, I, still, I mean, I, I still think the English Premier League with its, <laughs> like, skewed money, I still think that's a much bigger damage to um, European football than these Champions League rules, but that's for, that's for another um, discussion. But, yeah, yeah, I, t- I don't like it either. Like, especially, as you say, Liverpool and Tottenham, neither of them have won the league. And every every year we see the same suspects in, in the last eight or 16, don't we? You know, we, I mean, we always see... I mean, fair enough, Bayern are always champions. <laughs> but we always see Bayern, uh, Real, City, Chelsea, teams like that. And uh, it'd, be, it'd, be nice to, it'd be nice to get a story of Bukit West in there, I think. Yeah, I, I suppose the... the- the one good thing that comes out of it is you'll see Roy Keane getting absolutely furious. Oh, as love it. The cameras pan to the dressing room and you watch a team celebrate and finishing fourth for the Champions League or sixth. Even sixth <laughs> is the real key one. I love that. Uh, again, Tottenham, I've, I've got quite a few indirect message, messages, mentions here, but the, uh, the fact that they were celebrating, I think they finished sixth <laughs> in the COVID season and Mourinho's in the midst of the celebrations as well and just oh I, I, think, I, I, I think, think it must have taken him the whole summer to recover from the anger that that caused him you know what I think I think Keane had 
like shit himself in front of Mourinho a, a wee bit. Just, just kind of, I, I just kind of thought that there. I think I don't think he'd say that to Mourinho's face. <laughs> Aye, I don't know. I, I don't know. They, they maybe kind of came up against each other. Remember Mourinho did a wee bit for for Sky. Uh, I mean, I'm a big, I'm a big fan of both. To be fair, I like them both. But yeah, be an interesting matchup. <laughs> I, I, I would be quite confident Roy Keane could hold his own. The one I'm really oh, looking forward to is Haaland encountering Roy Keane at some point in this oh, season. Aye. Or I'm yeah, being that... forced to actually just praise Haaland in any way. And given that we're recording on the back of him scoring back-to-back hat-tricks. <laughs> Is that nine uh, goals already or something? <laughs> you feel that that moment might not be too far away. Anyway, we've strayed so far off topic here, so let's wrap things up. Firstly, mate, thank you very much for your time tonight. Over the next say, couple of months anyway, we're going to be recording a number of podcasts and a host of topics. Uh, taking a wee trip down memory lane. Hopefully you've enjoyed this pilot episode. We promise we'll we'll keep on practicing and hopefully get better as time goes on. But Greg, I've really enjoyed recording the first one. Yeah, me too, mate. Thank you. Thanks for hosting. I wouldn't have known how to kind of guide it myself otherwise. So, aye, thank you. You've been listening to That Was Football. We'll be back in a fortnight's time. Until then, thank you and goodbye. Once you woke up late